When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Jaybird Watching. I am Craig Borden here with my partner in crime, Brennan Panikar. Brennan, how's it going, my friend? Good, man. Not so good for our Jays lately, but uh, the city of Toronto and the country of Canada is getting geared up for Game 1 of the NBA Finals on Thursday night, so it's uh, still very exciting Toronto sports scene, which is nice. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because even though I'm down here in Rochester, New York, I'm still psyched for the Toronto City and the Raptors doing as good as they have. But we're going to dive in that into a few minutes here. Uh, we got to introduce our guest here, my friend, before we get too far into things. We have Jason Lee of Jay's Journal with us here today. Jason, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I just want to say before we start, thank you for having me on the show. I've always been wanting to be on it. Well, Jason, I can't believe we haven't made this happen because you and I were, while I was with my time in Jay's Journal, I think you and I were the only one that ever really took advantage of that writer's chat room that we had. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you and I had plenty of good discussions in that time frame and Brendan too. So I'm glad that we got all three of us here on pod to be able to you know, talk things all Blue Jays baseball and Toronto sports a little bit here in general. So Jason, let's uh, talk first about yourself man like i said we met while we were i was at jay's journal with you you still are with jay's journal and you've been having some uh reaping some good benefits lately it seems like man yeah um i don't know if you've seen it but i recently got to interview sam gavilio and um, it was really cool how it happened um i reached out to his agency on twitter and we had sort of a back and forth and um yeah i was lucky enough to get a phone interview with him and He's just a really down-to-earth guy, really nice, really humble, and it was just really enjoyable. Yeah, and I could picture him as being like, he's like that kind of like just the silent leader in that bullpen. And I think you nailed that in that article, that he's just do, does his job, does his work, and he has been having a huge season for the Blue Jays in the bullpen this year. Yeah, I mean, he didn't pitch too well today, but other than that, he's been he's been so valuable for the Jays, especially with all the uncertainty in the rotation and you need a guy in the bullpen who can eat up some innings okay brendan your turn 
Yeah, did you, Jason, at all, when you were talking with Sam Gavilio, I'm going through your interview right now with some great questions that you asked. What do you think in his mind, in the mind of Sam Gavilio, is the big reason why he's turned into such a dominant reliever this year? Uh, yeah, I did ask him about that question, Brendan. Uh, I asked him if it was because he was using his slider more or if, it's, or if it was because he got a few ticks on his fastball. But he actually said he was in a great frame mechanically since spring training, and he also told me that um, having Pete Walker back was huge for him because Pete Walker really understood how he pitched and what he needed to do to get out. Yeah, and I think that's exactly – I was honestly really shocked by that whole Pete Walker move. But in all reality, I think for somebody especially like Sam Gabilio, that – continuity needed to be there and I think that was something I, that you could see in his early career bouncing around and kind of being that guy that was just kind of didn't fit into a couple of organizations obviously since he has found a great home in the Toronto bullpen he is one of those guys that could be a six starter but oh my god I wouldn't even touch that right now Jason as far as everything goes he just looks so good coming out of this bullpen for the Blue Jays yeah exactly that's exactly why I didn't want Thomas to known to become a starter either even though he's had to make two spot starts so far, would have much rather given it to somebody down in AAA uh, at the time. But it looks like, guys, Sean Reed Foley starting to put things together. It's getting better over the last little while. But, Jason, overall, um, Sam Gavilio as a person, we don't really know too much about what his personality is like because he's not a rah-rah kind of guy. He just flies under the radar like most middle relievers and long relievers. What do you think was the most surprising thing that you learned about Sam Gavilio in your interview? Um, just how down to earth he was. Like I said, um, he was incredibly humble. His success he attributed to the coaches. Um, he stated how much he loved playing in Toronto. Um, I thought an interesting fact was um, that he drank a Red Bull before an outing. I asked him what a fun fact was, and um, I don't know if you saw Fernando Rodney during his uh, during his, the game in Toronto where he mixed a Red Bull and a, a coffee. And I guess maybe that's just the thing that Major League Baseball players do now. Oh, that's a new one to me. I haven't heard that one yet. Brendan, have you? <laughs> Did you say uh, they mix Red Bull with a cup of coffee? That's what uh, Fernando Rani did, yeah. And then, no, and wow. then Sam Gavilio, he just drinks the Red Bull. Okay, I don't know if I can do both of those combined. That's a lot of caffeine, man. And it's so Brett Lorre <laughs> level, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And we know what happened to Brett Laurie, so I don't know if he'd be wanting to mix coffee and Red Bull at the same time. Uh, all I'm just thinking is like you get somebody that's like the Incredible Hulk coming out of the bulb. <laughs> just going to be all jacked up on Red Bull and everything going, ah! <laughs> But that's just insane. I can't believe he can do that. But all power to him if it's keeping him level and that's what's being the difference. Maybe that's where the extra tick in velocity is coming from, fellas. Maybe. Yeah. I, I did ask him about that, and he said he was always um, 87, 88, maybe 90 on a good day. But, yeah, he's never been a power pitcher. He's always been a finesse type of guy. Yeah, and that finesse has worked Jason out Blatt. really, really well for him. And it's been sure very has. good to see a stabilizing fact. Because if, I can guarantee you, if you asked any Blue Jays fan before the season what they were going to get from Sam Gabilio this season – they were going to give you the Scott Downs thing, back and forth between the rotation, nothing really solidified. And right now he's, I think you guys can agree with me, he's probably the biggest force that's been in the bullpen other than Ken Giles so far. Maybe Joe Biagini. Yeah, Biagini got off to a good start. Jason, that kind of actually 
Craig, you set that up perfectly. Has Sam Gavilio been your biggest surprise as a Toronto Blue Jay this year? Um, I think he has been just because, like I said, the value that he brings out of the bullpen where, you know, if Aaron Sanchez can only go a couple innings because of that finger injury, you know, Sam Gavilio can come in and pitch two or three innings of quality relief, right? It's not just garbage innings that he's pitching. He's pitching two to three innings, scoreless innings, and um, that just really keeps the Jays in the game, and that really allows them to come back, gives their offense a chance, and yeah, it's definitely been probably my biggest surprise this season. All right, I got one for you, Jason, on the Sammy G thing really quick. Do you think that he, any? did you gauge any of this from that interview, that he's afraid to go through that second lineup turned or is this just something that you think has been a maybe the reason he has been become such a good dominant reliever over the last year I did ask him if he wanted to go back to starting and he said that he still envisions himself as a starter in the future so I don't think I don't necessarily think that he's afraid of going through the lineup two or three times I do feel like he is more effective once through the order like like most starters or most pitchers but um yeah, he said that he wanted to go back into starting if the if the situation arised. But he also knew that um, he also wanted to say that he would be willing to pitch wherever, what in whatever role he could pitch in order to help the team and in order to stay up in the big leagues. So I'm a true teammate. Brendan, got anything else to add? No, I think the only other thing I was going to say I was pulling it up on the same draft page. You're definitely right, Jason. <laughs> he should not be going through an order more than one time because last year yeah. as a starter, the second time he went through that is rating 344 against him and an OBP of 373. So let's keep him in a one time through the uh, batting order kind of roll in the bullpen. And you know what guys, I wonder if he continues being this good out of the bullpen. I know that they're going to have to fill innings over the rest of the year, but if a team comes calling and you can get, something for him. I don't know if you will get anything, but if a team maybe throw him in as a package with Ken Giles just to try to get a little bit more or a better prospect, do you think he could become a trade uh, a trade champ? Jason, you I feel this first. think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, the only thing that would be slightly concerning would be his age. He's a little on the older side. He's 29, but um, yeah, he has a lot of team control. He's valuable in terms of he can eat innings. He's obviously proven to be effective out of the bullpen. I, I think it'd be more of a sweetener in terms of uh, package, but um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. agree with that, Brendan. I think that he could be maybe the, the factor, the final factor that convinces a team to agree to trade. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking along those lines too, a sweetener that maybe nets them a little bit better of a prospect than the team was offering and maybe a trade for Marcus Stroman or Ken Giles. I agree with you there. You guys are so, jumping so many steps in this show we're putting together. <laughs> hey, man, it's not so linear. If it comes up, it comes up. <laughs> I'm just playing. So before we dive into obvious fun with trades and everything, um, we got to talk a little bit about what happened this past week, guys. And unfortunately for the Blue Jays, there were some nice glimmers of hope, but there were plenty of reasons to feel decimated at the same time. But um, in the midst of that, the city is a buzz, and I want to get your guys' pulse on what this feels like in the city of Toronto. Jason, I'm going to start with you. The Raptors, Eastern uh, Eastern Conference champions, and are going to the NBA Finals. Just insane level of from what I was seeing online, and I couldn't. I wish I was there to be a part of it. 
Yeah, it's so incredible. Um, I actually live just outside of Toronto, so I didn't get to uh, feel or gauge the amount of excitement in the city itself. But even just, um, I live like around two hour drive outside of Toronto, but even in my city, um, it's been crazy. You know, you see Raptors jerseys everywhere. It's kind of like the 2015 playoffs for the Blue Jays where you saw everyone with a Blue Jays jersey on or a Blue Jays hat on. Everybody's talking about the Raptors. And um, it's really great to see because it's uh, bringing a lot of people together through sports. And I think that's really what sports should be. So it's, um, it's really exciting to see for sure. Yeah, uh, it's even like going to work today, this morning, everybody on the subway is wearing Toronto Raptors hats, Raptors t-shirts, everybody at the office talking about game six and then going to the NBA finals. You know what? It figures that out of all weekends, when they have a chance to clinch and go to the NBA finals, I was an hour north of this city for a buck and dough, which was still very much fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, all I got to see was all the videos of my friends who were downtown partying it up, and it just looked insane. But, the fact that they're just being talked about so consistently on a national basis, not just in Canada, but the United States, it's something we really haven't seen before. And definitely agree, Jason. It's very much like when the Blue Jays first got back to the uh, playoffs and went all the way to the ALCS. I think the Blue Jays capture Canada's attention more than the Raptors do for some reason. The Raptors feel just more like a Toronto or maybe an Ontario team. The Blue Jays are much more Canadian or Canada's team because you got people going down to uh, Seattle from Vancouver and whatnot every single year. So, But regardless, it is very cool to see a Canadian NBA team in the NBA Finals. And It's not like they don't have a shot. They do have a, a legitimate chance of upsetting them. I don't think it'll happen, but to answer your question, Craig, it is very, very cool being in the city right now. Yeah, I just happened to be up in the city when we got Troy Tulowinski, David Price, and everybody in the 2015 deadline and everybody was just like, Oh my God, we are running with it. And you could just wandering around. Even when I came over the border, they're like, Oh, blue Jays hat, go blue Jays. <laughs> you know, completely. They're <laughs> shocked that a guy with New York plates has got, you know, Toronto blue Jays stuff all over his car. <laughs> but I did. It's one of those things that you, you just, you feel it. It's in a whole pulse. And, and like you said, Jason, even feeling out where you're at, this team is even traveling with We Are the North stuff all over it, apparently conspired by Ken Giles and Marcus Stroman traveling to Tampa last night. <laughs> so really cool stuff that everybody is invested in it. And you even saw it even in the Blue Jays players. They even did something before the game yesterday. Just really, really cool to see everybody invested in it. Unfortunately, yeah. the Blue Jays haven't been able to gather anywhere near the same intensity level this season. And even with a... I guess I'm going to say battling <laughs> for all but one game against the Boston Red Sox. It's how the season is, and it's how it's going to be. And then they ran into the red-hot San Diego Padres and got trucked for every game except yesterday. <laughs> so that's how that's it is, fellas. But, yeah, uh, Brendan, you ha had a chance to watch some of the Bo Sox uh, series. What are your takeaways from what we could have gotten out of that series? Oh, I, a split would have been nice. I mean, I don't they think it's that close. In the <laughs> they were, and you know what? It was it was exciting to see Rowdy tied up the next innings on the on the Wednesday night. But in the overall grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter at this point that they dropped a game they could have won. It's just all about, and we've been saying this forever. It's a consistent theme, and Blue Jays fans know it. It's all about seeing the kids, let them play through their struggles, let them develop as big leaguers. This is the season to do it, and. 
a complete shock that uh, uh, Kevin Biggio came up on Friday with Lourdes Gurriel. I'm sure we'll get into that in a second. But, uh, I mean, the Red Sox are just a far superior team to the Blue Jays. They're a very homegrown team, the Boston Red Sox, and that's what the Blue Jays are trying to do. So we can only hope that in a year, two years, three years, we are getting close to the level that the Boston Red Sox are currently at. And I think that's definitely an attainable goal. That's definitely in the cards. Uh, Jason, your your input. Yeah, I think if you look at the uh, past few games, I think it all boils down to starting pitching or the Blue Jays' lack of starting pitching. Uh, when they were having success, it was because, you know, Marcus Stroman, Matt Shoemaker, Aaron Sanchez were pitching consistent innings for them. It really kept the Jays in the game, and it gave the offense a chance to really battle. But now when you have Edwin Jackson giving up five, four or five runs, when you have um, Aaron Sanchez going out of the game early, you know, it's just really tough on the bullpen and on the offense. And I guess on the overall team morale, so when you're down that big that early, it's just hard to play a competitive game. Yeah, during that Bo Sox series, all I felt was like this is a war of attrition and the Blue Jays didn't have the Warriors to go out to the mound to be able to compete with the Moss and Red Sox in that series. When you have Sanchez was good during his outing, but Stroman got rocked up a little bit in his start. And then the rest of the gang just couldn't really keep it all together. And that trend continued for the first games of the Padres series. All right, Jason, yeah, so definitely... how shocked were you on Friday evening, basically, or no, Thursday evening, when we, Kevin Biggio was going to not only be coming up with Loris Gurriel, but Joey's going to play? Yeah, I was um, I was caught off guard. Um, I definitely thought that Loris Gurriel was coming up because I saw, I, uh, I kept track of him in Buffalo. He was on a bit of a hot streak. He was playing in the outfield, and obviously the Jays were short on outfield options. So, yeah, I definitely expected Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to come up. But um, when Kevin Biggio came up with him, it definitely was a surprise because I thought that with how the Blue Jays handled the Vladi situation this year, I thought that Kevin Biggio, you know, might get a cup of coffee in September and then he'd start back down in AAA in 2020 and then the Blue Jays would bring him up with Bo Bichette. But um, I think after thinking about it some more, I think that the Blue Jays, don't consider Kevin Biggio the same caliber of prospect as um, Vladdy or Bichette because I knew that uh, they wanted to space their free agent years apart so the negotiations would go smoother. But um, based on how they called Kevin Biggio up, I think that they think they still think he's a very valuable player, but I don't think that they think of him as the regard as a caliber like Bichette or Vladdy. Yeah, I, I, I think it is in terms of how they handled that. Um, I don't think he's going to be as high a ceiling, obviously, as Vladi or Bo. I don't think he'll be too far off from maybe what Bo Bichette's, I don't know, not, not full way up to a Bo Bichette floor, but maybe 75 to 80% of the way to uh, what everybody thinks Bo can be. But he's also a little bit older, right? He's 24. Bo is still very young. Vladi's still very young. So they just don't want them hitting free agency when they're 26 or 25, even, depending on when they officially get called up. So when Biggio hits free agency, you'll be getting close to 30. So perhaps at that time, they'll have some more options at second base. So, you know what? Kid's going to be a stud. And we saw that over the weekend with his mammoth home run on Sunday, uh, in which he followed that up with uh, with a single for his first uh, MLB hit. And, and it's an extremely small sample size, obviously, but very early on, his exit velocity has been averaging 92.3 miles per hour. 
So it's exciting to see he's got a good bat, and that's something, especially the power aspect of his game, that's really come on this year and towards the end of last year, too. So he can put it all together. I don't see why he can't be maybe anywhere between a two to four win player pretty consistently at the big league level. I honestly was just completely blown away by the fact that, you know, everything you guys have said is 100% right, but the fact that they're still bringing him up was shocking to me. I do think that he is maybe not the generational talent of the Bobochet Vladdy Guerrero Jr., but he's mentioned and he's been in that conversation constantly with those, those other two. So this is the basically going forward, we're going to get, gentlemen, we're going to get to enjoy the Vlad Jr. Bobochet Kevin Biggio show, and honestly, I'm very excited for that. And if Kevin Biggio is the low end of this deal, we're going to be very damn good. And there's no other way of saying it. So, first home run of his major league career, gentlemen, and as Brennan alluded to, 103 miles an hour. Very impressive. He swings a very good bat, Pam. I think he's going to be a... I don't know how much power he'll eventually come up with, especially his game power. But it seems like he has a solid bit of raw power in his bat. But I don't see why he can't be maybe around a 15 to 20 home run guy consistently. Maybe bat in the upper 200s. Maybe an OBP of 330, 340, right around that range based on what he's done throughout his minor league career. So I think the good thing is even if Kevin Biggio doesn't become a stud and he can still be a contributor at the big league level, They've already have uh, instilled him uh, into the outfield, so there's a whole lot of flexibility that comes with him as well, especially when you consider how much middle infield depth there is in this organization. They could plug Gavin Biggio in the outfield if he doesn't stick at second base when some of those other guys down in the minors like a Kevin Smith or Jordan Groshans, et cetera, uh, come up to the big leagues. But he's the kind of guy you need on a, uh, on a championship-caliber team, a very solid guy who can bat towards the middle, towards the end of the batting uh, batting order. And I think he'll just be really consistent throughout his career. And uh, hopefully this is the start of something special. To quote Moneyball, he gets on base. That's right. <laughs> and you can't score, can't score runs without getting on base. Which was my biggest problem with Rajay Davis for years. You can't steal first guy. <laughs> so Jason, um, let's get your opinions. How do you think Kevin Biggio is going to fit into the uh, picture going forward? Do you think he's going to be this everyday second baseman for a good chunk here, or do you think we are going to see him a little bit here, there, and everywhere? Um, I do think that now that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is sliding into more of the super utility role, I do think Kevin Biggio will be a uh, much more of a regular at second base with maybe some reps in the outfield. But yeah, I think Brendan put it perfectly um on a championship caliber team you don't just have the all-stars you just don't have the stars um even boston they had mitch moreland you know they had and houston this year they have michael Brantley, who aren't necessarily stars but who are still producing who are consistent producers so um if Kevin biggio becomes that that's great because i think that with Bo and with flatty um like you said jordan groshans down the road i think they have plenty of uh star caliber prospects that could turn into all-stars but um you definitely need the Kevin Biggios the Anthony Alfords the Kevin Smith etc yeah this, he falls into a group that I almost feel like he's gonna be like a Kelly Gruber type Pat Borders you know somebody that's gonna find a way to contribute and just be solid and you're gonna forget about him being in the lineup but and it's because you got guys like 
Boba Shet or Vladdy just kind of taking all that spotlight away. It's like everybody forgets that John Olerud was a g- giant Blue Jay and a big part of Whamco. <laughs> or the fact that Edwin Encarnacion was, you know, the other guy that hit home runs in Toronto for so long behind Donaldson and Bautista. Yeah, like that. it wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Captain Biggio even becomes an All Star in one or two seasons, sprinkled out throughout his career. Might be just one of those guys who is just consistently good, often overlooked, uh, and sometimes gets his recognition by getting to an All Star game a small handful of times throughout your career. That's still a very good career if you can be an All Star one, two, maybe three times at most. But uh, I don't know. It's just the feeling I have with him. I think he'll just be a very solid player. Nobody that really gets or commands the spotlight. If he becomes anything more, then that's just Beautiful. incredible news for the Jays. Yeah, and you need those guys who can just take that unexpected leap forward as well. But as floor, I think we're all on the same page with what he can be. Just a very consistent contributor, batting in the sixth or seventh spot of a very good lineup. And that's exactly, as we said, and exactly what Jason said, you need those kind of guys in your lineup to win a championship. So a big takeaway from the Padres series as well, because of the promotions, was Loris Gurriel Jr. Guys, this is what I was thinking we were going to get from Loris out of the gate this year, and he was going to run away with a job at second base. I'm honestly shockingly dumbfoundedly impressed that he was able to research his bat along with learning more or less a new position. Yes, he's super athletic, but he is on frickin' fire against a good team in the San Diego Padres this past weekend. Jason, kick it off. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm on the same boat as you, Craig. I always was a big believer in uh, Luis Gurriel's offensive potential. Um, I think a famous quote by his brother, Yuli, who's with the Astros, is he's a better hitter than me. And um, Yuli Gurriel is an incredible hitter himself. He's one of the best hitters to come out of Cuba, and I think that speaks a lot. As for his defensive potential, he's um, he's obviously still improving. On second base, he lost his confidence. Um, and the outfield, he's been solid. He hasn't been spectacular. But as a super utility player, you don't necessarily have to be a great defend- defender at one position. Your job is to be adequate moving around the diamond. So I think I think like Kevin Biggio, I think he'll be one of those guys for the Blue Jays where he's an unsung hero. He can play anywhere on a given day, and that just gives you so much roster flexibility. Yeah, Jason, I think you... Uh... He absolutely nailed what I was thinking Lourdes Gurriel would become. It's that guy who's a super utility guy, can stick him in left field, can stick him in right field, and he can play adequate enough defense to be out there and be trusted at those positions. To not be a liability, and I still think it's foolish to write him off as a guy who can't play second base or can't play his more natural position of shortstop if you need him to from time to time. You know what? I got into a massive debate with a guy on Twitter probably about a week or two ago talking about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. This fan base, after last year, was thinking that Lourdes Gurriel is going to be a, a very big contributor to this team and be an unsung hero. I still think he's going to be good, but I compared him to Marwin Gonzalez. If he's the ceiling of Marwin Gonzalez, that is exactly the kind of player I think the Blue Jays are hoping he can be. Marwin can play third. He can play short. He can play second. He'll play first. We've seen Gurriel play first this year. Marwin can play right. He can play left. So, and Marwin isn't a stud defensively at any of those positions, but he's not a liability. And Gurriel has a much better... <laughs> exactly. So, if you add all of that up, you're looking at about a one-to-two-win player consistently through the course of your career. 
And that's exactly what Marvin Gonzalez has been. In a very good year that he had, I believe, in 2016, he was a four-win player. But for the most part, he's been around one to uh, two F war for his career. And if Gurriel can be that, then just like we said with Kevin Bichia, you need that guy in a lineup consistently every single day where you know you're going to get production and not be a liability in the field. If Lourdes Gurriel is Marvin Gonzalez, that is fantastic, and I'd be very happy with that. In a weekend where many of the Blue Jays' bats could not get going, with the one exception of Sunday where Biggio, Smoke, and everybody went off, basically, only one guy in the lineup that didn't get a hit and only two guys that didn't get multiple hits, uh, Brennan Jury and Danny Jansen not recording a hit on Sunday. Loris Curiel Jr., three home runs, including a day where he goes four for four and was only a triple short of the cycle, guys. That's the impressive offensive prowess that we might have out of a guy that can, like you said, roam around the infield, roam around the outfield. And I don't know how much you guys got to see of him playing left field, but he made a few plays that looked made him look very, very athletic in left field, or at least very, very aware of his surroundings. Um, one of the ones that, stinks, that sticks out to me off uh, got a uh, ball that went up, ended up being fair down the third baseline, hooks toward the foul or uh, the fence, and it hits off that little part where it rakes out before it goes down toward the line there. He plays it one hop off of that wall and guns the guy out at second base for his first outfield assist. That was a play, I, in my opinion, that most regular everyday left fielders would have had trouble, at least for visiting players in the Rogers Center. In all reality, he was a visiting once, and he was making his first left field performance in the left field this weekend. Did either of you guys see that highlight? I did. I saw that live. That was actually a bit of a game that I was actually able to watch. I believe that was Sunday, but uh, they were asking him about it after the game, and he said that that was one of the highlights of his career to this point, I believe. And deservedly so. If you're going to be playing left field, you got to be able to make some plays like that from time to time. And, and I think he surprised everybody with how well – uh, he played it. He looks like he's been in my field for his entire career. So that's an exciting development, especially on a team that needs outfield production really, really badly. He's looked good coming in on the ball. I can't speak so much to seeing him go deep toward the wall as I only saw really that one play on Saturday where somebody hit the ball over his head. That might have been an opportunity, but I re- this would have been like a Kevin Pilar-esque like, catch if he was able to catch that one. Jason, you got anything to add? Yeah, I, I saw like yeah, I saw that play. It was um, it was really good. It showed his potential. Like I said about him playing in the outfield and him playing adequately, or maybe even above average in the outfield. But he also made a few mistakes. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but it was a shallow fly ball, and he was coming in and he slid and he missed it, and the ball uh, went by him, and the guy was on second base or maybe third base. Uh, Is that the I can't one where recall, the fan but, touched it on, by the end of the play? I think so. Yeah, that yeah. one. So, um, obviously, there, there were blunders. There were some amazing plays. And that, that just shows you the inconsistency of um, uh, learning a new position. And I think the Blue Jays and Blue Jays fans have to be patient with Gurriel. Maybe give him a couple of years for him to settle down, get comfortable with all these positions, and really emerge offensively. So, somebody that has had no problem emerging offensively over the last week Justin Smoke, fellas, is doing nothing but torch baseballs. <laughs> and it's been very impressive. He's getting on base at an insane clip. Another multi-home run game on Sunday. How often do you get somebody like him that you have on an opportunity season where he's the only veteran on this team 
that we're going to hold on to Justin Smoke? Or do you think he is the next on the chopping block, Jason? Yeah, just to touch his, um, his start, his hot, hot streak, I guess. Um, it's not surprising at all. If you look at his underlying metrics, um, his walk percentages, top 1% of the league. His expected slugging percentages, top 5% of the league. His expected Woba is top 4% of the league, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Smokey's been crushing the ball. He's been great. He's having great at-bats. His eyes been great. So um, it's not surprising that he's been probably one of the best hitters on the Jays this year. And um, regarding your trade question, Craig, I think that um, the Blue Jays should be looking at trading him. Unfortunately, um, see what uh, see what offers are out there because realistically, Smoke isn't part of your future outlook. Yeah, I agree. It's been very impressive to see that he's almost walked as much as he struck out. He has walked 17.5% of the time and struck out just 189 The strikeout rate so far would be the lowest of his career, and his base on ball percentage would be the highest of his career. So he just only continues to get better as his career goes on and he becomes a much more polished hitter. In terms of the trade talk, I wonder, they definitely will be fielding offers, but you see guys who are very similar and comparable to Justin Smoke over the last little while, and I look at C.J. Crone, and C.J. Crone was designated for assignment by Tampa Bay towards the end of last year and was just picked up off of waivers in the offseason. Now, Crone's had a great season, but guys like Justin Smoke over the last little while just haven't had that value that would get you anything big in return, and if that's the case, and I honestly wonder if you look at keeping him around for another year into next year because he's just that veteran that you have to have on this team. And if he's going to continue to produce at this rate, then why not look at extending him for another year or two just to keep that veteran around? It's an interesting point. Yeah, I think if you're... Go ahead, Jason. I think if you're a Blue Jays fan, I don't think you should expect much in return for Justin Smoke. If uh, Even if you look at J- the J.D. Martinez trade a couple of years ago, they got... The, the Tigers got Dalla Lugo, Sergio Alcantara, and Jose King. And I think the only notable name was Lugo, who was actually a Jays prospect. Um, he was the Diamondbacks' number two prospect, but I don't even think he was top 100 prospect in the, in the MLB. And um, J.D. Martinez was a better hitter than Justin Smoke. So if J.D. Martinez got that, then I don't think the Blue Jays or Blue Jays fans should be expecting much in return for Justin Smoke. I'm hoping that we're getting desperation out like the Yankees because they've been just having a freaking carousel of first baseman. <laughs> Something like that, that you throw smoke at him and just go, hey, we got this guy here. He could, like, you know, lead you to a World Series. Especially, you know, he's better than Gio Urshela. <laughs> but as far as all things go, Brendan, I thought that it was interesting that he's only gotten better with those stats because I noticed that trend, too that if you do keep him around, he's him and Roddy Telez make a hell of a thump in the middle of this lineup, and then you cement Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the lineup, that's going to be a hell of a, you know, 3-4-5 for somebody to get through next I, season. Absolutely, man. And you start piecing together the other parts of that lineup. If you have Kevin Biggio at second base, then what's that? We're up to four guys in the batting order. Add Bo Bichette there uh, as a guy who can be close to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. level production. Uh, and Danny Jansen in his second full big league season next year. And again, I've been consistent with this all year. Even though Danny Jansen has struggled with the bat, I don't think that really matters this year. It's all about him improving his defense, which was the weaker part of his game heading into this season and learning how to handle a big league pitching staff. 
over the course of a big year. But Danny Jansen, all the peripherals in the minor leagues, all the advanced stats were very favorable to him being able to be a good big league hitter. So you're starting to look like you having a pretty damn good one through six next year. And then whoever sticks in the outfield, if it's Anthony Offord, Lourdes Gurriel, Billy McKinney, Teoscar Hernandez, if somebody makes that jump next year, you can have a pretty good offense. It's just always going to be a question of pitching. And right now they just don't have enough upper echelon talent that can be called up, which is why I know we're going to be getting into trade talks in a little bit. But if you trade a Strowman and Sanchez and you still don't have that upper echelon talent next year, where are you going to find these innings from? So there's a whole lot of things that they're going to have to solve over the next little while as they piece this together and move towards being a contender, maybe as soon as next year or maybe in 2021. It's uh, something I'm glad I'm not burdened with making those tough calls. Yeah, Jason, I know you're foaming at the mouth because, you know, Brenda just gave you the tease for this trade talk fun. <laughs> but um, <laughs> close up the book on the uh, smoke thing there and uh, any of that lineup stuff. That I honestly think I agree with Brendan that Danny Jansen was hitting the snot out of the ball this last week, and they were going right at everybody. So it's coming. Jason? Yeah, if you look at the, the Blue Jays lineup and – the few the prospects that the Blue Jays have, they're set in the infield. Their infield will be made up of all-stars and just really above-average contributors. But the, what the Blue Jays lack right now is um, is pitching and outfield. In the outfield, you have Gritchuk locked in, but um, I don't. Uh, I think he's nothing more than maybe a two-war player, maybe a three on good three-war player in a good year. And then, and then you have, like you said, Lourdes Gurriel maybe playing in the outfield. But after that, it gets a little questionable. You have Anthony Alford, yes. You have um, Davis, who had a home run today, but I don't think he's much more than a fourth outfielder. So those two, those two spots in the roster really worry me. And well, Jason, um, that's where we have Luke, a running joke on this show of what we missed White Smith Jr. immensely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but like like Brendan said, in trade talks, I think that's what you are going to have to target, these upper echelon prospects that are pitchers and that are outfielders and t- that you can just really balance the roster with and not just these super infield prospects that you have a surplus of. So what do we do, gentlemen? Jason, I'll let you run with this because I know where you're, know where you're going already. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been debating for the past few weeks about whether or not to trade Marcus Stroman. On the one hand, he's probably the best chip that the Blue Jays have. He'll get you the most. He's uh, he's fairly young, he's controllable, and he's having a great year this year. But on the other hand, I don't know if I've come across a player that has embraced representing Toronto and representing Canada as much as Marcus Stroman. He's, he's an ambassador for them, and that's probably one of my biggest obstacles in trading Marcus Stroman. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I'm glad that you think that Stroman is their biggest trade ship because I think it's very, very close to who will get you more in a trade between Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles. I definitely think Giles is going to be moved because you can plug any live arm for the most part into the back part of the bullpen and they'll be able to close games for you and get guys out. The way people are using bullpens now consistently changes. But I will predict within the next maybe 15 to 20 years, the closer role will be gone. You just use your best pitcher in the most highest leverage situation possible. But regardless, if you trade Strowman, you open up so many innings that you've got to fill. For the rest of this year, I know it's a lost season, but 
even going into next year, you look at who you can pencil in there, and you have Ryan Baraki and Trent Thornton. What, regardless of what you do with Aaron Sanchez, you may or may not have him. You'll have Matt Shoemaker coming back off of ACL surgery, um, so he may not be ready to go for the start of the year. But but then the next echelon's not here yet either, man. Exactly. I mean, I think we're getting closer to being able to pencil Patrick Murphy and Yenzi Diaz into the rotation maybe by midway through next year if they continue progressing the way they have. But it's still a little bit of a ways off before those guys are getting up to Buffalo and then eventually to the big leagues. So I I do think that they will trade Marcus Stroman because maybe they will rush a Patrick Murphy or Yenzi Diaz a little bit more than they would like. But it would be so much easier call to trade Stroman if Sean Reed Foley puts it together or if Jacob Wagaspak, who pitched today and struck up seven guys in four innings of relief, uh, can be something at the back end of the rotation where Nate Pearson gets to the big leagues next year. And you know what? Even TJ Zoik is down there, who everybody thinks could be a back end of the rotation guy who hasn't pitched yet this year due to a lad injury. There's a lot of open holes, but a lot of potential too for guys to be able to snag spots next year. So I do think they'll trade Stroman, but I agree, Jason. It's a very tough call because he was, is definitely worthy of an extension. So I agree with both of you. So here's the thing that I can't stand as far as everything goes. I already think that Buck Martinez and uh, Siddle are thinking that Patrick Murphy is going to be up with the team next week from today's broadcast. <laughs> it just was driving me nuts. I, I love Patrick Murphy, and I think he is going to be a valuable piece to this team going forward. But to throw him into the fire right after he's finally pieced things together for this season in A. He got off to an eh start, you know, but now he's been lights out. He's due for another challenge, but I don't think that challenge is Major League Baseball, gentlemen. No, and this front office, since they've been here, has stressed the importance of you need to go to AAA. AAA isn't a, a place for quad A players anymore who are on the fringe of the big leagues or riding the famous Mike McCoy shuttle going up and down every single day, <laughs> seemingly so. You need to get to AAA, even if it's for three or four starts where you look good and then maybe come to the big leagues. But the fact that this front office, for basically since they've been here, stressing the importance of needing to go to AAA and not skip that level, I would be very, very, very shocked. Much more shocked than when Kevin Biggio got called up that Patrick Murphy is up here next week. Jason, you got anything to add on that? Um, getting back to the you know, just the Marcus Stroman trade possibility. I think that if you look at the tr- the teams that are interested in or is a fit for him, uh, the Atlanta Braves, you know, the San Diego Padres, what is really intriguing is both those teams have upper echelon pitching talent, whether it's Mackenzie Gore, who I don't think that Blue Jays are realistically going to acquire, or whether it's Ian Anderson from the Braves, Kyle Wright from the Braves, and then the Padres have an abundance of pitching prospects. I do think the stars are aligning for a Marcus Stroman trade. Now the question is, how can you maximize his value? Can you maximize it trading Marcus Stroman by himself? Or you know, can you maximize him by packaging Marcus Stroman and Ken Giles? And then maybe you can get Mackenzie Gore from the San Diego Padres. I think um, it's going to open a lot, a lot of intriguing options for the Blue Jays, and Ultimately, if the, the package is right, I think you do have to accept the deal. Yeah, I completely agree, and those names are definitely 
at the top of the list, especially because you can maybe, when you acquire them, be able to plug them into the rotation in September, if not sooner. Because Kyle Wright has a projected ETA of 2019, according to MLB.com. Or you got guys like Mackenzie Gore, who's a lefty, an ETA of 2020. You may be able to rush some of these guys to the big leagues to fill those innings uh, in the rotation. I love Mackenzie Gore for the fact that he's a lefty. And in 2018, in 16 starts, 60 innings, he struck out 74 guys. So he's got some pretty legit stuff. If you can get a guy like that, in a, in a, I would definitely be for trading Stroman and Ken Giles in the same trade so that you can get the best potential starting pitching prospect available. Gore fits that. Tyler Wright fits that. Ian Anderson, as you mentioned, fits that too. So even Tuki Toussaint uh, from Atlanta would fit that as well. So it would be very interesting to see what they do. And you know what, guys? I would not be surprised if Ken Giles and Marcus Stroman get shipped off in the same package to maximize the return. It makes sense. You're moving a lot of controllable pieces with minimal money attached to it. So you would think you'd be getting something sizable back in that package. And those two guys, those names another, that we're dropping is great. I'll take that any day. Another, another option that is slightly different that doesn't involve pitching is with the Houston Astros. And it's similar to how the, the Blue Jays took advantage of the Houston Astros, you know, their surplus in the pitching by trading Lenmus Diaz for Trent Thornton, who is really just an extra piece for them. But now it looks like a future part of the Blue Jays rotation. And, you know, maybe you can approach them for a similar deal because they have a surplus in the outfield. I mean, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, these guys are top, top prospects who are raking in AAA and they're not getting the call because the Houston Astros simply don't really have a spot for them. So maybe you can call Houston and say, we'll offer you Stroman. We'll offer you, I guess, they, I don't know if they'll take Giles again, but maybe we'll offer you Stroman. And could you give us a Kyle Tucker? Could you give us the Jordan Alvarez? And then your outfield is solved, and then you just have to look for pitching in another trade or free agency. So that's just another option that I'd like to bring up. Oh, for sure. I definitely agree. Maybe in a trade for Ken Giles, you can get an outfielder that you need. Maybe somebody who isn't necessarily going to be a stud prospect, but somebody who can be really, really good at the big league level and fill that hole that they have in the outfield. And then for Stroman... Maybe you add a piece, like we said. Maybe you add a Sam Gavilio, who just sweetens the pot a little bit, and you get that starting pitching that you need. Regardless, I trust this front office immensely that they're going to be able to pull that off. And if they don't, the amount of money coming off the books at the end of this year, again, the only two guaranteed contracts they have on this roster going forward into the next year is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Randall Gritchick. So they are going to be able to spend a lot of money to either extend guys or make an impact-free agent signing. Maybe not impact yet. That I think that's the off-season of 2020 when you're looking at a legitimate big free agent signing, but it's a possibility because they have holes there. And if they, they could, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they could compete for a wild card next year. So just to throw that one out there, because I know you're curious now, who are the free agent quote-unquote outfielders, guys? <laughs> and coming off the free agent list this coming off-season you're not going to be terribly impressed. Some of the games are like Melky Cabrera. Most of the like, uh, intriguing ones would be Avisiel, Garcia, Adam Eaton, Nick Castellanos, you know, those kind of guys. But in all reality, it's not that stud that you would see coming out of there unless you're going to break the bank paying for probably Starling Marte. Yeah. Mookie Betts is coming off in 2020. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Maybe you can go and run at him, see if you can get it from the Red Sox. I'd love to see that happen. But <laughs> if they won't, but it'd be crazy if it did. 
that would be the best thing ever. Steal a Red Sox best player and have him in Toronto for the next five to six years with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bogachet. That would be And incredible. he's a stud. He is an absolute beast. So it would be crazy if you could have it in the middle of the order. Hey, he, right now, going into, this, going into this season, he was the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. Uh, and he absolutely is that. So that would be pretty incredible. Very incredible. But we, I was just shooting at the ballpark of where I thought this management might go with that. <laughs> we have more likely a re-signing Eric Thames, in my opinion, to play left field and that, than getting Mookie Betts, just saying, guys. <laughs> so, but it's very intriguing to see where some of these trades could be going, and I agree with you that they need to fill one of those two holes with these trades. And not with just more prospects, but ready-to-go prospects. Even if it is like that year early, like Brendan was talking about. Jason, it, these guys that are coming back got to be in that list of people you were just nailing there because it's got to be someone we can plug into this lineup and let them start getting some MLB reps. Anyway? <laughs> Fellas, did I lose you? Nope. Sorry, I, I missed the question. Oh, I, I was did just, too. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, I guess this spot will be editing out. Um, I was just <laughs> saying, do you think that we're these guys that we're getting back have to be major league ready in these trades? In a trade? Yeah. They need to be very close to being big league ready. Maybe not the outfielder, because you might be able to fill that in, but starting pitching, you're going to need that much sooner than you will uh, an outfielder. The other thing to consider, too, guys, is even if you don't solve – in a Ken Giles or Marcus Stroman trade this off or this trade deadline or even in the off season by a free agent signing with the extreme abundance of talented middle infielders that you have, you got to start thinking at some point, if especially if you're hanging around a race as soon as next year, that you start trading off some of those prospects that you have stockpiled in your system to fill that, to fill that hole. Uh, to plug in a guy who uh, will be able to help you, much like 2015 where they needed that starter and they went out and got David Price. They're definitely not at that point yet, and I don't think they will be in 2019, but 2020, you still have that big abundance of middle infield talent, then you can make that trade and acquire the impact player that you need to get you over the hump. I think that works out perfectly because that's what the prospects are for. You know, we've seen already even this season some come and go, and that's just how they are. If you never know what these guys are going to turn into, and I think that they're holding the guys that they do feel confident in close to the chest. And I think that the guys we've already been talking to in this show, Kevin Biggio, Loris Gurriel Jr., and some of the pitching prospects are definitely those guys that they're holding close to the chest. So what's that next echelon? Okay, well, Kevin Smith has had some ups and downs. And then you have the next level, that's even the Kevin Bakunas, that's been really, really good at one level, and he's having some issues this season. You know, it's just how it is, and that's how everything goes out with prospects. But, fellas, I don't know if you've been seeing what Sean Foley has been doing lately, but I think he might be in a Major League Baseball uniform very shortly. What do you think, Jason? Um, I personally, I hope that he stays down in AAA more. Uh, I did see his last few starts. He had the eight inning outing in AAA where he only gave up two runs. And then before that, he had another quality start going six innings and only giving up three runs. But I still would like him to stay in AAA, work on his mechanics this year, really get that sorted out, get the walks down, and then come to the come back to the big leagues when he's fully confident. You know, when he can fully trust his mechanics. 
to repeat the delivery consistently throughout an outing. And I just don't want to see him go through that struggle again. I don't know if he can handle going through that struggle again in the major leagues. And then, you know, just bouncing back back and forth. Uh, I think the next time when Sean, really, Sean Reed fully gets called up, I think that should be the time where he just sticks in the major leagues. I agree. I don't want to have him bounce around anymore. And to have that not happen, you got to get the walks under control. That's the big thing that's holding him back right now from being able to go deep into games. But also the fact it's crazy. He has such lights out stuff. He just hasn't been able to put it fully together yet. If he can cut down on his walks, limit the base runners, then those hits that he will inevitably give up in the home runs, they won't be so impactful for him. Walks will always, always, always kill you as a starting pitcher. So, even though it has been impressive, and you go back and look at his game log right here, since uh, the 29th of April, he's got four innings, two earned runs, six innings, two earned runs, six innings, four earned runs, six innings, three earned runs, and eight innings, two earned runs. So he's gotten better. He's been able to get himself out of trouble via the strikeout, which he's always been able to do. That's something that you can't do at the big league level, especially when you're a young guy. So he's got to sort out the walks first before he gets back up here. But I think out of necessity, if Edward Jackson keeps on throwing up shit outings every single time that he's out there, <laughs> it hasn't been very good. Out of necessity, Sean Reed Foley might, not, might need to get back up here if he has another two to three good starts. If he does have those two to three good starts and they do need him bat that badly, at least he will be with the Blue Jays' best coaches to possibly help him get through all this. Because I will say this right now, if he gets called up, I'm sorry to say, guys, but he's going to be here for the rest of the ride if we're going to be talking about this Stroman trade and anybody else. You're talking maybe Aaron Sanchez, who, as we talked about, is unfortunately on the sidelines, probably again with a split finger nail again. <laughs> so... It, Sean, Sean Reed Foley might be one of those guys that ends up being called on to eat up the rest of the innings for this season. And it wouldn't shock me if that's where they're thinking right now if they are trading Marcus Stroman and are actually probably happy that he's been having these resurgent starts of late. So, yeah, I'm just, completely. Yeah, I'm just curious as to what you guys think about Aaron Sanchez's future roles. Like, as you said, the, if, if Aaron Sanchez can't start, if he's physically unable to start, and you need another option to fill in, and that might be Sean Reed Foley. So my question to you guys would be, how much longer do you let Aaron Sanchez start and just have these finger issues recurring before you discuss a move to the bullpen, or maybe that discussion has already happened? Yeah, I think the biggest hurdle in all this, which is very unfortunate, is Scott Boris. Scott Boris has already said that Aaron Sanchez isn't going to be made into a reliever. I don't know if he's been on record with that, but they were talking about that on the radio after the game today is the hurdle in Aaron Sanchez as a reliever is Scott Boris. So that's not ideal for Sanchez, but it will be ideal for the team. I think I'm at that point already. If he can't go out there and get these finger issues under control, he, you can maximize his value as a reliever. You could get a Ken Giles type of return that you're probably going to get for Aaron Sanchez if he's in the back end of the bullpen. Or maybe if he is turned into a reliever, he can go out there and stay healthy. He doesn't have finger issues the rest of this season. And maybe you look at extending Aaron Sanchez to be that back end of the bullpen reliever that you're going to need when you're good again. Possibility. I doubt it. But uh, at least for me at this point, I definitely am wanting to explore him as a reliever. The biggest problem with Aaron Sanchez right now, fellas, is none of us can rely on him. And that is including Blue Jays management, coaching, everybody. 
he can't, this is what the third start in two in a couple weeks here that he's had some sort of a finger issue that's kept him from being on the mound. This game wasn't off the wheels at all by the time he came out in the three inning, and then the hamster fell off the wheel and died and got shot and rolled over and <laughs> as the bullpen <laughs> can continue to just struggle. But the bullpen's overworked. You can't have in a season where we're already starting the likes of Trent Thornton and everybody. You can't have this. Aaron Sanchez is supposed to be one of the rocks, like Marcus Stroman, until we do maybe trade one of them. But right now, Aaron Sanchez has zero trade value. He has zero value to the Blue Jays unless he can get this stuff to go, and maybe the bullpen is the better of the thing, or he needs to show me that he can actually get on the mound and stay out there for six, seven innings. Jason? Sucks because nope, go ahead. It, that sucks because there's a lost seat back. And you see it in starts where he hasn't dealt with a finger issue that he's looking much more like the 2016 Aaron Sanchez than he has been the 2017 and 2018 versions that didn't have the velocity. So, man, if he was able to be consistent out there, not have these finger issues, then I think you are looking at it. You were looking at a potential trade package of uh, uh, something like you'd get from Marcus Stroman, or you could be talking packaging Stroman and Sanchez together in the exact same trade, kind of like the Oakland Athletics did when they got Jeff Samarja and they got John Lester at the deadline a little while ago. So, and they got out and the Cubs got Addison Russell in that trade. So, uh, it's uh, definitely possible. Sorry, it wasn't Lester and Samarja together. It was Samarja and Jason Hamill together, and you were able to get um, a guy like Addison Russell, um, not the greatest human being, <laughs> but uh, he's still a pretty there. damn good player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. If you were able to package Sanchez and Stroman together and get that kind of impact player, then that would be very, very good. But, uh, yeah, he has no value to this team right now or any other team if he just can't get over a finger issue. Jason? Yeah, he's been strangely confident that he's going to overcome it, though. Even after the game, he said he's fine and that he'd make his next start. I don't know if that's Boris telling him to say that or him actually being confident, but it's just really strange how time and time again he's coming out of these games early with the same injury but time and time again he's also saying he can recover from them so it's kind of becoming a broken record and it's almost feeling like a lie at this point if he was fine we wouldn't be dealing with this conversation even fellas on the show (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that's frustrating frustrating very frustrating indeed so but (laughs) But yeah, and this is maybe this is what's really killing me about the possibility of trading Strowman, and I maybe this is one of the reasons, Jason, that you've been stewing on it. If we we got to have somebody that's going to eat up 200 innings, and right now Marcus Strowman is the only guy that can do it. Trent Thornton might be your wild card <laughs> on that, but you're going from a guy like a seasoned veteran to a guy that's making his first major league baseball season. It's very very nerve wracking. So. They had Matt Shoemaker who could do it as well, but he unfortunately got injured, so that was really unfortunate for the Jays. And he could have been a great trade trip as well. And Absolutely. how that turned out was unfortunate. So, I mean, it's Absolutely. it's been an unlucky season for them. Hopefully they're saving their luck for 2020, 2021. But, um, yeah, it doesn't look good for the, at least for the rest of 2019. So how are we going to keep getting listeners, Brendan? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, the more that they continue to not be very good. We'll have to offer more beer like you did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I know, and one guy actually did that too. You offer that and send a screenshot of your review and subscription, 
to this podcast and you get one at me at the Rogers Center. So, Jason, <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, to uh, a game at the Rogers Center that I happen to be at. So, good yeah, deal. So, fellas, uh, Jason, do you have any other topics you'd like to dive into seeing you're our guest? Um, <laughs> not that I can think of on t- off the top of my head, actually. But if you guys have anything else, I'd be happy to banter about it with you guys. Yeah. Brennan? What do you guys think Jacob Wagestack ends up being? Because he looked pretty impressive today. Struck out seven in four innings. Is he a guy who could be in the back end of a rotation for the next year or two while they figure out uh, or get the next wave of starting pitchers up here? Jason, I'll let you feel it first. <laughs> um, To be honest, I don't think he's anything more than a quadruple-A player. I actually tweeted out, it was... um. Jacob Wakes, it was kind of a savage tweet, I guess, but um, <laughs> Jacob Wakes back was uh, said that it was his dream to be in the major leagues and that guys like him don't make it to the major leagues. And he was referring to the fact that he was drafted late or maybe he wasn't drafted. But um, yeah, that he, but I just kind of said that guys with a 5.86 ERA in AAA Buffalo and a 1.63 whip aren't supposed to be in the major leagues. Ouch. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I applaud him for getting to the major leagues. I applaud him for the hard work he's put in to put himself in the position to pitch for the Blue Jays. But realistically, I don't see him developing into even a number five starter. I think he's a number seven or eight on a team at best. And um, I think it, it might be harsh, but I think it's realistic. I think I agree with that. He does, it doesn't overpower you. He's crazy. He's six foot six. I was looking up, so he's a big guy on the mound, but he doesn't throw overly hard either. So, I think maybe the role that he was in today is more along the lines of what he can be. Maybe a swingman in the in the bullpen who makes a few spot starts from time to time. But I think I agree with that. I wouldn't rule out, rule seeing him out in the rotation at some point uh, for the rest of the season, especially if they need to fill it with innings, and maybe next year too. But who knows? Maybe he'll be able to take it and run with it and, and get a five. But I think I lean towards you, Jason. The one thing that I actually just saw when I opened up my Twitter feed was that Montoyo said that he had a little bit of tightness in his shoulder after the fourth inning and was removed as a precaution oh. in reference to Jacob Wallach. So he's already being bit by the injury bug in this team. He's infected. The problem with him yeah. is he doesn't have a really a dominant off-speed pitch or even a great a good off-speed pitch he just relies on his fastball and it's hard to even put him in the bullpen if you don't have a secondary pitch so that's why i'm leaning towards the number seven eight starter yeah i agree with that definitely i think it's funny gentlemen that we literally spent the better part of the half of the show that discussing the guy that might be wagon's peck's uh ceiling saying sam gavilio yeah, exactly. He needs to develop that yeah. next pitch, and he could be somebody like that. That's a swing guy, but a successful major league swing guy instead of, a like we were talking about, a quadruple-A player. But I enjoyed watching his outing today, and in the midst of that, I just was not blown away by anything. I think he caught a lot of the Rays' better hitters off uh, by surprise I think in those three innings just not having the homework done on him I'd be curious to see if he hangs around for the next week how well he does in a bullpen role like this and see what happens yeah this is the season to determine that so 
it wouldn't surprise me if they try him, give him a spot start before sending him back down to Buffalo, whenever that may be. But uh, this is the season to try everything and anything that you can think of. So <laughs> let's get weird and see some different things that we weren't expecting to see. Speaking of things that we weren't expecting to see, I just dawned on me, Brendan, one of the things I wanted to talk about that I forgot. The teamwork level on this team is insane, and I think we finally saw in the highlight reel from Sunday night's game when Craig or Kevin Biggio hit his first Major League home run, how fast can Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Vladdy jump off of the bench to be cheerleaders? <laughs> yeah, that was I, amazing. That was really great to see. I honestly it think that's a perfect was. summarization of what this team needs to be and where it's going. And the three of them, you know, plus Bichette when he gets up. How important is that chemistry, Jason, to where this team is going to be and I think where it's going to eventually thrive from? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about it. I've talked to people who think that chemistry doesn't matter, that it's talent that's going to get you a championship. But I've also talked to people who do care about, do feel like intangibles matter, and I am one of those people. I do think that the synergy that comes from these young guys just really bonding and thriving off of each other, playing off of each other. I think that's going to be huge for the Jays in two to three years or maybe even next year. And I think that fans are really, really going to enjoy this young and exciting team because it's going to be fun. Um, And if you're patient, please be patient. I think you'll be rewarded. I agree. Just like all the fans who are patient with the Raptors through all of these years and all of the crap that the, uh, that the team trotted out there in the nineties and the mid two thousands, so be patient, and you will be rewarded, hopefully, very, very soon with a World Series appearance. And hopefully championship. Yeah, for all, all Toronto sports teams. <laughs> it's similar mold has been followed. Uh, but I just thought it was hilarious to watch Kevin Biggio and Loris Gurriel Jr. Basically, they know they got promoted together, and they're one-upping each other all game yesterday. Oh, fine. Loris, you hit a home run. I'm going to do one. And then... <laughs> You know, back and forth. The only thing that Kevin Biggio didn't do was basically, you know, make a really good play in the outfield. Although Vladdy did try to give away his home run ball, or his first hit ball. I don't know if you saw that one, too. <laughs> he, he, he got the, Vladdy got the ball after it was thrown in from the field from Biggio's first major league hit, and he instantly took it and started walking around the corner, like looking at first base at Biggio, and he goes, oh, okay, I can hand it to you. And it's this kid. <laughs> that's good fun stuff. And I think that's the chemistry level that I think these guys, it keeps everybody loose. The competitive edge is there for everybody. And I think the fact that these guys have played through each other, with each other throughout the minor leagues is worth its weight in gold. And I think that's going to be what leads us eventually to the promised land. So, Jason, this is your moment to shine, man. I think we're running out of topics. So... Tell us what's going on in Jason Lee's world at Jay's Journal. Do you got any interviews coming up, or what do you got writing? What's cooking? Yeah, just I'd just like to thank you for having me again. Um, as in terms of what I'm planning, I am planning writing an article on why the time is now to trade Ken Giles, and maybe a little sneak peek is um, I'm going to dive into his past, how he's been inconsistent, and just take a look at the relievers who's who have really been inconsistent, the Kenley Jansons, the Andrew Millers, et cetera, et cetera, who are dominant, maybe even a Wade Davis, who are dominant during their prime. But as soon as they sign a big contract, you know, they've it's gone downhill. So I'm going to say that just maybe signing Ken Giles to an extension isn't a great idea and that now it's the perfect time to trade him. The whole fact that Ken, Craig Kimbrell's still a free agent basically bodes well in that article, right? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Brendan, what's going on with you, my friend? Uh, you know, yeah, I think you know, buddy. It's an uh, exciting time to be raptors, raptors, raptors. in this city. That's right. That's right. It's uh, something that I have never seen. The Blue Jays were in the World Series in 93. I was one year old. Uh, so I don't remember seeing a – I've never seen uh, from the big four sports leagues in North America, which is obviously the NHL, NBA, MLB, and NFL. There's never been a Toronto team in my lifetime to make it there. And that is in no way disrespect to my Toronto Argonauts, who I'm a season take a holder of, who have won three Grey Cups uh, that I remember watching on TV, and TFC, who won in 2017. They're just not in the big four sports leagues in North America. So when I say that, don't take it the wrong way, Toronto, who's listening to this show tonight. This is a very exciting time to be in this city, and I hope that the Raptors can pull off probably, which would be the biggest upset in NBA Finals history, beating the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, so, it's a world stage cooking. thing, right? Instead it is. Of, yeah. It's very cool. Very cool to see Toronto talked about on an international level like this. It's fantastic. And Thursday night in this city is going to be unreal. Yeah, get your premium bar spaces at a minimal already, probably, everybody out there. So if you haven't gotten that reservation yet, you might want to hurry up and find somebody's apartment with a big TV. <laughs> or you can spend money and go to the game. Nice $1,000, yeah. $2,000 to get catch it live. <laughs> there you might not even I certainly, be, I might certainly not won't be doing that. <laughs> no, me neither. That's way too much money for me. I don't think you'd be even able to get a seat at that price. You'll need to spend closer to like $1,300 if you want a guaranteed seat. Anything less than that, you'll I be saw standing. a courtside ticket that was going for $75,000. Insane. Absolutely insane. Are they doing anything like down at the arena or anything like that for that game? I know uh, they had well, the Raptor Park thing going on, and then didn't they have yeah. a game at the Rogers Center on at the screen recently? I can't remember. No, no, not from what I remember, but that would be a really good idea for Rogers to get a hold of. I yeah, wonder where I should be working. Town. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. that's make them some money. That would. I'm, I'm sure that there would be a lot of people who would be interested in doing that. It would be the number one party on the planet right there if the Blue Jays are not even going to be home that week. On Thursday, right? They're going to be in Colorado. That's right. That's a missed opportunity if they aren't doing that. Uh, right? <laughs> wow. But, yeah, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure as always. Jason, thank you very much. Brendan and I appreciate it very much of having you on the show, and I feel like we've been missing this opportunity for way too long, seeing we're good friends like that. Yeah, anytime. I'd love to be back if you guys would invite me. Anytime, Absolutely, man. Absolutely, buddy. Yeah, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. This has been a ton of fun, and we'll do it again soon. For sure, for sure. All right. So, Brendan, uh, we got this whole voice message thing that we've uh, been trying to push. Uh, that's a new, wonderful promo that our fans can actually talk to us. It's kind of crazy, right? That's right. Yeah, you can send, submit us a voice message and say, hey, I want you guys to talk about this topic, invite this guest to come on your podcast. Or maybe you just want to call us idiots because you noticed a big mistake that one of us said. So send us a message and make sure that you get that in, and we will definitely talk about it on our on our show. Yeah, so if you are not familiar with that, and wherever you're listening to this podcast, there will be a link. And you just click that link, and it'll take you to our anchor.fm page for Jaybird Watching. And it'll ask you to record the message. Usually it's a 30 seconds to a minute, I think, is where it caps off. Ask your question, and we'll air it on the show. 
and guess what? We'll answer it. It'll be that simple. Or, you know, we'll just get a humorous <laughs> fun out of it because you guys made fun of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can, hey, that's fair game, too. If you want to send us a voice message and make fun of us, go for it. <laughs> All shenanigans will be had. So, anyways, Blue Jays fans, make sure you hit those subscribe buttons. Leave us a review wherever you are getting your podcasting pleasures from. And until next week, let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.